know what? I got that role as Jet because I am who I am and shaped as I am. And I have power and I have strength and I have curves and I'm not going to apologise for them because you know what? They ain't going anywhere. Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to get those happy hormones firing. My next guest is a 90s icon from the hit TV show Gladiators. Diane Newdale, otherwise known as Jet, was an inspiration to many, known for her signature hair flicks and cartwheels on the podium. In this podcast, we talk about her rise to fame during the show, the extreme highs and dangerous aspects of being a gladiator, her transition to retraining as a psychotherapist, her relationships both on and off the show, and how her attitude to self-care and body image has changed over the years. As ever, we are so thankful to all our listeners for tuning in each week. To help us to keep going, we would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Also, please share our newsletter to your friends and family or anyone who you think needs a hit of happiness in their inbox. I hope you enjoy. Well, um, obviously you were one of like top guests to get on the podcast because I think there's a lot of, um, you know, harking back to nostalgia at the moment, especially in terms of like the way we see our bodies. I think, you know, through the noughties there was that whole kind of size zero conversation and now we're going back to this like more body positivity thing of like you know looking fit and looking strong and when I think back to people who inspired me growing up like you were up there like that you know on the podium having that amazing strong beautiful athletic figure um, and I think I was about six years old honestly but I you were like one of the icons of my childhood so it's quite amazing to <laughs> see you in the flesh <laughs> but I know that wasn't just me I know there's a lot of people that feel the same because I think there was there was lots of marketing wasn't there around gladiators there was like you guys were in the frosties packets you were obviously on posters on jumpers lots of merchandise so your face was everywhere you were very famous yeah yeah yeah, it's taken me probably coming up to 30 years since that period to really kind of be objective and, and download it objectively and stand aside and view in through the eyes of many others uh, rather than yeah. just be in it and be all coy about it and be very humble about it, which I am genuinely. But I thought that yeah. actually, until I stand in the shoes of others and see what that show meant in the living room Saturday night, prime time, to many, many families, um, I don't think you can. And then, and then, of course, you have that whole thing, you could never sort of get egocentric about, oh my God, that was huge. And that was me, because that would never be yeah. me. But to actually strike that fine balance of, awareness of it and and to take pride moving forwards and and know what to do with it in in a positive way in an honoring way I think is probably the best way of describing it um yeah. because it's so easy for me to sort of go oh no 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 oh shucks no but it was yeah, huge exactly. and it was a it was. it was a big investment in all of our time and ITV's time and and millions and millions of everybody's lives who loved the Saturday nights curled up then hitting each other with pillows and everything else they can get yeah, a hold of to emulate the show <laughs> it's iconic it's i condone violence <laughs> with the pillow <laughs> i know and it was probably a lot of health and safety issues then as well, I was, I was getting, but i mean pretty dangerous stuff you guys were doing back then yeah. as you know um uh, being a psychotherapist you probably appreciate the way we structure our podcast which is all about our happy hormones and how we can tap into them naturally and we always kick off with dopamine which we kind of associate with drive and motivation and from listening to you on GladPod and from reading a bit about you I can see that you were incredibly driven from a very young age um, I think you were like head of your gymnastics team like age 14 or something but yeah walk me through it and how and how that journey led you to gladiators um, I think from an early age, I, I was, yeah, a lot of a lot of child athletes. I think if you see an idol, mine was Olga Corbett and Nadia Comaneci. So we're talking the 1970s, 1980s, when the world stage of gymnastics was changing. And I looked at these magnificent athletes, and I thought gymnastics was gymnastics was such a beautiful sport because it's it was powerful but essentially very creative these girls were putting together beautiful routines with quirky bits experimental bits dangerous bits and they looked beautiful doing it and I thought I really really want to do that and I had a little bendy powerful body that suited itself and it was my mum not my dad my dad ended up coaching me that actually took me to the local sports center to a day morning gym class and it was my life 
and and I suppose when you're in love with something so much, and I'm sure people agree listening or watching, that when you love something so much, it's not hard. It's just dedication. It's your passion. And so I suppose drive wasn't something I had to search for. And I feel now at 15, um, really fortunate to have had that and other phases of my life where I've had that access to what I call a bliss um, because not all of us are ever in a whole of our lives find one let alone a few so I feel really really grateful that I had that opportunity that all conspired with my DNA my genetics my natural psychology physical ability and we can't forget this, the really important bit about being having parents that could take you to a gym because not every child can go to classes or can afford classes. And I was very, very fortunate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. Because was it so between the ages of nine to 14, you're in the National GB squad, yeah. right? And then you became choreographer after that well it was the choreographer for the for the gb squad um on on a few of our we used to go to lillishaw to train which is a national sport a sporting excellence um still is was then and she said you know if you have an aptitude which you do because other gymnasts have turned to me to choreograph their floor routines uh, then yeah. really you know think about it so i I'd watched uh, some work on Channel 4 when Channel 4 first launched in 1984. Gosh, I'm aging myself, badly. But um, there was a brilliant, it's called the Dance Season on Channel 4. And, and it featured basically 20, 30-minute works, little dance shorts. Uh, and there was a piece of choreography by a, a, a company called Ballet Rombert, who sadly don't exist in the way they did anymore. And the work was by a choreographer called Christopher Bruce. It was beautiful, powerful, lyrical, barefoot. It wasn't all sort of twee little point shoes and, you know, ethericness and, and stories mm. from, you know, whenever fairy tales. It, it had something earthy and powerful and it was called contemporary dance. And I fell absolutely in love with Martha Graham's work and particularly Christopher Bruce's work. So... At that point, I thought, well, in order to become a choreographer, because my brain, I would hear music and I'd immediately see choreography and, and, and theatre being played out on a stage or in a space. Uh, they call it synesthesia when you use one sense and another sense springs forwards, I think. And yeah. I thought, I have to choreograph. It's just that that was my next drive <laughs> in the dopamine section. Yeah. And, um, and then somebody said to me, actually, though, Dar, you have to learn the language of dance, which means you have to train as a dancer. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to have to train as a ballet and all that? No, because I'd been a gymnast until 14. I thought to go back and stand at a bar and, and, and learn a different posture and how my body could work. But it's the building blocks. It's your language. So in order to speak and communicate, I'm going to have to start learning how to spell, literally step yeah. by step. So I took up my next thing at 14, which is very late for dance uh, by standards, but I just took to it. And at 16, I auditioned for Rombert, Larbon and London Contemporary and went to London at 16 to London Contemporary to start my training as a dancer to become a choreographer. Amazing. And tell me about that journey of how you went from there to getting that call to be on Gladiators. How did that all come about? No, that wasn't a drive. That was just a, like a bizarre one-off. So one side, I, I got a lot of breaks because other choreographers and directors were saying, you're a really strong looking female. I, I like the way you look. You, you can act, you can do, you can sing, you can do a lot of things. I've done a lot along the way. Not terribly yeah. confident, but could do it. Particularly if someone was saying, and it's paid. Yeah, as a poor yeah. student in London, that that will yeah, I'll be doing it. I could do that. Do. <laughs> so, yeah. um, um, I I I did quite a bit of TV and film before Gladiators, and and one break was huge, which allowed me even with just five k to put a deposit down on on a property yeah. down in Surrey. So I moved out of London as a student bought my first property at 19 because my then partner bless him said die you may never get opportunities like this again in terms of yeah. a big fee so um I, I moved out of london bought my first apartment in surrey and then went was literally teaching so by that point i'm teaching in dance and fitness running my own school for adults and teenagers because i love teaching um i thought there's got to be a way i can share this and I, I went to some other people's classes and thought that is such a cool skill not only are you knowledgeable and good in yourself you can share and inspire it with others so i started being a teacher at 19 20 year old and um and i came in one day and there's um, a weird answer on my then you had to go to your answer phone and press the button and then it would tell you what the answer phone would be in the, in the day 
And it was um, a guy called Andy Norgate, who was the one of the collective producers of Gladiator, saying, um, "We're looking for, we're looking to speak to Diane Udell. Um, we've got a question for." <laughs> and a series of phone calls ensued, and I went up for a meeting. And I thought they were looking at me to be a contender because I'd seen the American show in the, in the middle of the night. Uh, my partner said, "Have you seen it? It's really quite interesting." I thought, "Oh God, no, it's not for me at all. <laughs> it's <laughs> like wrestling and 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 rugby." be all in one and I'm not big powerful bodybuilder I'm a dancer <laughs> and actually Andy said to me he said you know um he said we're not looking for girls like the American girls we want more figure fitness uh mm. women who are athletic uh, from an athletics background or dance or gymnastic background if they're tall enough and of course I wasn't so I put tiny little wedges in my in my trainers to try and make me half an inch to really? an inch taller for the for the casting <laughs> And we wow. did a, so how tall are you and how tall did you have to be? They wanted us about 5'8 and I'm 5'6. Yeah. So <laughs> That's still pretty tall. Well, you it's think all it, right. it was all right. Yeah. And I wasn't, I thought, well, how can I do it? We had gym tests and then they had to do the army assault course at Woolwich Barracks. Yeah. And you excelled here, didn't you? I heard on the Glad podcast that this is where you really excelled. And is this where you got your name, Jet? Because you were super I don't fast. know. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> Kenny Warwick, the, what, the, our producer, ran behind me as we walked away from the assault course and he tapped me on the shoulder and he just said, I hope you're free during summer. And I thought nothing about it because we knew nothing more about this show really um, in terms of shooting or when it would be. And I, and I didn't. And I know from having done castings for years it, until really you get that call and you're in the studio and you're shooting, don't take anything for granted. And even then, in the olden days when the check lands on your on your doormat, you know, um, mm. never take anything for granted. But so, yeah, so no, the rest is history, really. And I was yeah. super quick, I think, on the assault course because to me, an assault course like, say, something like Eliminated, which we were never allowed to do, would would have just been a bit of fun for me because I could still tumble. I had loads of speed. My physical ability was was very high because I maintained it from being tiny. Yeah. Mm, that's amazing, and obviously it went on to be a hugely successful show. Yeah. But in terms of managing the fame, I mean, you probably didn't know that how big it was going to be at the beginning, did you? Because there was nothing to compare it to, and I guess it took quite a long time for these things to come out on TV. So, what was that whole experience like? You know, becoming famous through the show. It was, it was, it was bizarre. I must admit, Kenny did kind of say, you know, you, you've all got to kind of make a bit of an adjustment because if, you know, this could be very big because it is going to be Saturday nights. And I, even then, I kind of didn't watch a lot of mainstream or terrestrial TV. We only had four channels. I don't think Channel 5 had even yeah. launched way back then. So people had a very narrow kind of, everyone was corralled into watching what everybody else did. So I, I guess that was part of its success. I hadn't downloaded that. And it wasn't until we shot the first series where we had to kind of, they had to digitally assimilate in the arena, the audience, because there was only one block of audience that we could get people in for because no one knew what it was about. So they yeah. assimilated the whole thing around the arena so that in the first series, all, the, all of what you see are not real people it's digitally assimilated audience and then after that for every year since you people didn't have to buy tickets because it's a game show it was illegal so people would just queue Birmingham to come and watch us shooting live seven hours a piece it would take to shoot one show and we shot two shows in the day so these poor Four souls sat for done to 12, 14 hours. Um, yeah, like diehard fans, though. I'm sure they really? still, well, I, I know from your podcast that they do still exist. Like, they, they do. yeah, they're still around. <laughs> and as much as the devotion as they ever had to me and the show, and I'm sure all the other glads will agree, I still will hold that back. So if I do do things like Comic Con still to this day, well, obviously not during pandemic, but we, We'll yeah. go back to them and someone stands for three hours waiting. I won't just do a five minute. Hi, yes. Nice to see you again. Bye. I will stand yeah. and talk and catch up with their lives. And I'm interested in them as much as they're interested in me. But that's the natural psychotherapist and or pseudo journalist yeah. coming through being nosy. And, and, and I just generally like people. But yeah, I had no idea. And it, it did go on to yeah. be huge. And it was a positive show, I think. Yeah. Because a lot of um, dopamine is about managing your expectations of reward, isn't it? So it's like, I guess you didn't have social media then, so you couldn't yeah. actually get caught up in the hype of it. You had to just, yeah, I guess just be very measured and balanced and, and react as it came out. And yeah, yeah, I don't think, you know, I think I've 
pretty sure if I think back to the person I was, um, I wouldn't have managed very well with social media. Mm. But then if I'd been part of a generation which had grown up being able to manage the platforms and feel okay yeah. with whatever boundaries you do assert for yourself within social media, because I certainly do. I don't know how other people coming through do. Um, mm. It may have been different because it may have been a different, um, different sort of mental take on things. But had it been me as I am now, with social media and how I've watched it grow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked it at all. I don't think <laughs> I would have no. felt very exposed, or I'd have just got someone to yeah. like other people who are very profile. Just get other people to manage the site, which exactly. is a bit sad, really. But I think you have to because there's so much darkness out there, and that whole kind of uh, you don't want to be reading every single comment that people write about you. It's not kind at of all. A, yeah. If you haven't got anything good to say, don't say it. And if you've got, you know, everyone's got constructive thoughts and just don't have the capacity, don't have the room, time or yeah. space. Not interested. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> way to be. So thinking about um, endorphins, which we associate a lot with like joy and euphoria, but it's also about like masking pain too. And I know from listening to the Gab Pod and, you know, just from reading about you that obviously this was a very dangerous show, wasn't it? I mean, you yeah. guys were, I mean, hang tough. How far, how high was the drop? Was it like 15 foot? Something it, is, like that? it was, yeah, 15 yeah. foot. So if I look to the ceiling, um, add that again to another five foot. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it's it was, a long drop. It is. It was. You know what I mean? To actually do, to manage the event and articulate through the event and, and do it was one mm. thing. And, you know, being an ex gymnast, I think Lightning and Vogue, so that's Kim and Susie, we were, mm. we were better off on that event because we, we'd spent years developing a lot of grip strength with the asymmetric bars, which is one of the Olympic four pieces. Um, so yeah. your body's adapted to that. It was not so easy for, for many others, I must admit. That was fine. But when it came to the kill, I called it. So you've got your, you've got your contender and you're get, trying to get my prizing their fingers off and you're trying to get... Uh, the, the, it was that last bit I'd always dread because you'd never really know because if you're swinging and spinning, you can't control that fall. And if you spin yeah. and fall and, um, at the wrong angle with a body, human body on top of you, which you can't manage in a 15 yeah. foot drop, which is literally a, a second less. No, no, sorry, just over a second's fall second mm -hmm. to two seconds I, I count these things because we had polax as well which is a like four or five second drop horrible like a stuntman's drop yeah. um but you've got to manage that that if you can articulate in space but if you can't do it because you're competing and you you just finished at an angle you don't know what angle you're going to hit that mat and if you if you go on that onto that mat particularly um was pyramid which is when i had my accident and you hit it at the wrong angle, at the wrong speed, with the wrong joint in the way, i.e. neck, arm, knee, ankle, it's gonna give if the impact forces are greater than the strength of the joint itself. I'm a bit of a geek with these things, but it's, it's just, it's true, it's, it's law of physics, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, and how, how would you guys recover between filming? Would you do ice baths and things like that, or do you have any, like, a lot of medical attention? Um, we, well, we didn't actually. We had a really good physiotherapist, a good physio team, but I don't think we were really that advanced in those days to, um, thank you, Jeff bless. I'm just being handed a cup of coffee. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> which is really lovely. <laughs> I wish I could have Oh, so lucky. Um, <laughs> so no, we didn't really, I think the sports science back in the early 1990s just wasn't, what it is quite today i think i yeah. think mainly it was rest and, and good nutrition and but of course we do two days filming for four sets of shows and then maybe two yeah. days off so if many digits were getting fractured and broken fingers um more major injuries particularly early on in series you you just have to forget it because you they'd have to modify what events you could go on so they worked it out over the years that they'd they'd put us they'd try and save some of us for some of the 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 really harsh events like pyramid and hang tough because the falls were dangerous to make sure that yeah. we could get right through to the end because the injuries once you've got a major joint injury you were pretty much out for the rest and they couldn't yeah. afford the glads to be to be carrying those that level of injuries because it wasn't many of us um mm. yeah it was hard so i think if they did yeah. a show like that now which health and safety probably wouldn't ever allow um it, yeah. we'd look at the aftercare and the, the sort of mid-term care very differently 
Mm, I was really interesting listening to you interview Hunter and about that injury he sustained. I think he said his shoulder kept popping out or something, but he was just so determined to win. I think it was the the the, the ultimate yeah. gladiators fight, like who was the strongest gladiator, and he was so determined yeah. that he just powered through. And that, like you yes. say, that like probably wouldn't be allowed in this day and age. But he was just, I guess, pumped on adrenaline and that desire to he, win. He's our legend. He's our male gladiator yeah. legend. He, if he was like a stick of rock gladiator, top gladiator, bottom, he's gladiator through and through. And he incurred an injury um, during the original series. Um, in a dislocation, of course, when you get the ball and socket joint of the sh shoulder, um, anything that happens, the, the ligaments, uh, which basically insert your your bone onto your your muscle onto bone to hold uh, bones into place. I'm sorry, I'm not being very technical, but they'd be they'd, they were stretched, and of course, once they're stretched, unless you have major surgery, and he had pinning in the early days of pinning because it wasn't major art in, in in biomechanical surgery at the time. Um, but it still it, it left a very unstable joint for him, and a lot of the, the a lot of the events were very upper body, like hang tough yeah. in the wall, and he loved those things. And I think of course that over the years they then did the bring the original gladiators back to the Sky Gladiators, the revival, the international gladiators, and he kept throwing himself on every show, going, I'm going on, I'm going on, and still to this day, I think he modifies his training quite a bit, he still does super strength stuff, but he does lots of yoga, yeah. he travels the world with his good lady, I think, and, and does amazing yoga um, workshops in beautiful, beautiful parts of the world, so sort of he's got his yeah. yin and yang more in balance these days. That's good. Yeah, because <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you've often said that you would never go back, would you, to performing just because of the risk that's involved? Mm. Because you did have a pretty awful accident, didn't you? That's just why you decided to leave yeah. Gladiators. But there are some of them that went on and continue to perform at a crazy high level. But so yeah, t talk to me a bit about mm. the accident and then how it happened and how, how conflicting that was for you at a time when you were probably very famous and earning lots of money. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that wasn't, you know, if somebody had said to me, if somebody had asked me to date, say, do something like Strictly as a dancer, because that was my background and that was my passion, I'd much rather, I'd work through any, any injury to dance and be on shows like that. It wouldn't matter because it's a creative and a beautiful process. I'm a hardworking, very, very focused. I still am at 50. That's that's something I love and prove to myself and I do with a passion every week, uh, teaching wise. Um, not necessarily the world's best dancer anymore, but it's, it's my joy. So one of that and walking, my yeah. happy spaces, but we'll come to that as well. Um, yeah. But Glad's, it wasn't something I'd have chose to, done, to do um, if somebody had offered me a role in a, or a director of a, a, a dance company or a, a, a role in a really good dance company, like what would have been Ron Barrel under Contemporary. I'd have taken that despite the pay over gladiators any day because that's more me. Glads I had to yeah. dig deep for. Um, I mean, it, it, there's a there's a couple of guys that love glads and they like they love the the through and through true gladiator spirit. I found it hard. I, I won't lie. I was not a natural. My body was naturally adept to the arena because having been a gymnast. But my ment my mentality isn't you're going down do or die i'm dead i'm the best yeah. I, I don't have that mentality i'm kind of a little bit more yeah okay i'm gonna do my best and if my best is good enough then fine and i could find that in a fight as well literally during the event but immediately switch it off again because it's not i'm not that sort of person not mocking anybody that is because i, I admire it but i can't and don't live that way because it's it's just not it's just not me um but yeah. i'm glad i did it i'm glad i did it but i wouldn't i wouldn't do it again um yeah no. <laughs> it's just it's a lot to put your body through isn't it it's intense it is and um, but can, has anything in your life since then matched like the high that you you'd get on that podium and like hearing john's voice count down gladiators ready i mean that must have been like the most scary thing but also the most exhilarating thing at the same time no just scary <laughs> yeah, just scary. Just scary because i would in those moments if you ever watch any footage you can actually see though i do i come out of smiley die jess yeah and I go into there's like a focus it is on those moments like oh god damn this is serious now I've got a few seconds yeah. to really focus in so backstage I'd have done a little bit of working out 
about how I'll approach the event with this contender, looking back at their their style of how, and how good and how powerful and strong, maybe any weaknesses, um, how I do that event, uh, and then kind of park it for a while and think, all right, am I am I just okay? Am I fed? Am I watered? Am, am I managing my nerves for what we call peak performance? Because you can get over nervous, so you're you're a mess out there. You're a hot mess yeah. out there. Or you can get to a level of peak performance, which I'd learned as a gymnast, where you just have to, when it's your time to compete and perform, it's then you have to produce your best. So you can't be what we call a new stress or distress. You have to be in peak performance. Um, yeah. and, and, and for some way and somehow, maybe it was the gymnastics as a child that did it, I could access that, which is probably why I could even surprise myself <laughs> that I could actually lift it out of the bag when I needed to. Uh, so there was this yeah. focus that would come over, um, and then as soon as the whistle would go, I'd be like, phew, oh, I move, I can move, I can stand, I can walk, great, I'm not being scraped off the crash mat into physio or an ambulance. Uh, but on that fateful day, it wasn't the case, and I was in an ambulance, and I thought I'd broken my neck. So that's yeah. right. You know what? Enough but you hadn't had you. You hadn't broken it, had you? Was it something, was it a nerve? or you, It was just, yeah, just compression in yeah. the cervical spine. But had had I not been Enough offended, as I am, yeah, like um, they said, the, your neck would have gone. And it would have gone at the what we call the hangman break. So not only would I have been paralysed, it potentially could have been fatal. Um, oh, God. Yeah, well out there. <laughs> but you you talk about now your love of hiking, as you mentioned, and surfing too. I hear you're a keen surfer. So is that how you get your thrills these days in terms of fitness? I wish, you know, Hetty. I wish I haven't surfed for years. I haven't had the good fortune. Oh, I read it about it on your Wikipedia page and said you love surfing. <laughs> I do. No, you're right. I do. I took up surfing in my early thirties when I was married. Um, yeah. We both took it up quite late, um, but I took to it immediately long boarding i'm not a short boarder um it's a beautiful thing to do i absolutely love it i, I sold both my surfboards a number of years ago it's not a very nice story but i had to um and i was heartbroken and my life took a real real turn for the worse um so i had to kind of offload things very quickly and survive and it's another story <laughs> and it's been written at the moment while I'm writing it and uh, people are interested so um, a bit shocking in places um, but yeah I had to and I haven't surfed since then but every time I go to a beach and I, I know it's something you don't forget it's like riding a bike if you know you can surf yeah. you can surf and I look forward to the day when maybe my life is a little different uh, particularly from, from pandemic pandemic days and we have to reprioritize those we love um, yeah. I would very definitely start surfing again because I can surf and whether I'll buy my own boards again or board maybe yeah I love yeah. it it's what happened that and walking now walking I do do pretty much every day um yeah. and dance every week do you, do you have a dog as well do you walk or do you just go off on your own just for oh, I used to again when I'm settled and in a better position I will take on a four-legged furry face from a rescue as I did Ben all those years ago he was my training partner he lived for 17 years I, I had him oh. blessed to have him for 14 of those years um and one day I'll find another Ben dog and um yeah it'll, it'll be pretty much true to form as I was back in those I mean we have to evolve and grow which we do but yeah it will all be coming but I don't I haven't actually had a dog for a while because I moved up to Manchester and I think my mm. partner then he was into cats and done cats ever since but I I'm I'm a dog person I'm, I'm both I'm a bit of both I should surprise <laughs> myself um but um yeah. I prefer a dog for um the relentlessness of being somebody who would never go oh it's raining I don't want to go out I don't care oh, we're going yeah. out <laughs> that's what I love them for they just get do you, you, out, have, a, do you have a dog I, I do I've got a, a, a cocker spaniel um Yay! who's very very hyperactive and yeah I, yeah. I actually bring this nicely into the oxytocin part because they are amazing companions aren't they I mean they she are. I always say that she was the best investment I made in my well-being because um I was living in the city at the time in London and she was part of the reason I moved out to North Devon which is surfing capital of England so you need to come visit <gasps> Petty, I have to Take come and visit you <laughs> you must come surfing with me well, I'm going down to Somerset this next week maybe I take a diversion <laughs> yes, come to North 
seven because there's Croyd, Saunton, Woolacombe. There's loads of beaches to choose from, as you know. But yeah, Saunton's a great longboard wave. So I'll run onto come. the beach. Jet will be running onto the beach in a wetsuit and I'll throw some <laughs> off their surfboard and go, it's mine. It's mine and back. Yeah, move over. Um, <laughs> But so thinking about relationships, um, obviously everyone always wants to know, like, who are you closest to in Gladiators? Like, were you really chummy with some of the girls like Lightning? And what was it like behind the scenes in terms of how your relationships and how it worked? Do you know, during those years, we were all kind of in our early days of being married and settled, mid-20s, yeah. and uh, pretty much everybody, I think, on the show at the time was was entering into what I'd call their serious long-term um, Kim still is with her husband Francis. She's just won a bodybuilding, a pairs bodybuilding competition. Amazing, amazing. Um, and the the two, I mean, Kate, who played Zodiac, as soon as, as, soon as she entered the show, which was um, I think a couple of years in or a year in, um, I immediately became great friends with her, and still still am very much adore her as a friend. And Kim Lightning, um, more so now than back then because back then we were all so super focused on this huge big vehicle around us that was trundling forwards whether we were ready for it or not you had to it wasn't a case of get ready it was be ready all the time um and very very stressful because of the one because the safety issue and two because of the enormity of the exposure um and i think it's been for me i can't speak for the other guys but it's been the years since um particularly the last five or ten years particularly as glad's 30th anniversary looms on the horizon we've probably all now created more of the friendships i know a couple of the girls say panther and vogue um, helen and susie are very close um and kate I, I go and visit her whenever i get back south and and kim lightning she's just an incredible woman with an incredible family and I really admire her drive and she's funny and yeah she's a real inspiration still to me she still keeps herself in absolute top shape she's funny um yeah I can't praise her enough and and many of yeah. you others so yeah it's, it's it's odd isn't it how all these years later you actually probably have a stronger friendship than at the time but the focus on the friendships weren't really for me weren't really there it was we had our partners or our husbands to be and and it was really get in the arena and then get out without being injured yeah I did mm. read somewhere that she um she had a baby and then was like back gladiators like two weeks after or something ridiculous now when I see about back. James Hunter being gladiator top gladiator bottom she's the fem yeah. female version by right. far I don't think yeah. any other girl in the world, maybe a couple of the Americans uh, can actually, I would, I would put that accolade on. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, I apologise if anybody watches this and they go, no, it's me, <laughs> I can be that way. But she is, and she yeah. still is. And, and for many reasons, not just for her incredible condition and drive for sport and bodybuilding uh, and anything yeah. else, she can still throw amazing uh, gymnastics too. Um, but um, just in her spirit, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so inspiring and talking about like you being a sex symbol because you were let's be honest and probably still are many of your fans out there but how is that like because i read some interesting interviews with the likes of um you know robert patterson the, the a-lister oh. apparently you like, on his wall when he was younger like you must have had so much fan mail and love letters like how did you manage all of that and how did your partners at the time react to that it wasn't until a journalist a few years ago, a few journalists were, because he, he quoted that Jet was his first love, and suddenly I'm being, yeah. I'm being phoned by all these randoms. Did I know this? No, I didn't. Um, no. And I, I guess when he'd have somebody of that kind of Hollywood. I know. I was like, what? I had no idea. Um, and I still have no idea. I really don't. I'm not being coy or humble. I just... I guess, I don't know, long dark hair. Some people have a type, don't they? I, a little few curves um, and smiled a lot because it was more smile through sheer fear <laughs> than anything else. Um, and I had a bit of a background in teaching and fitness, so I could talk a lot, as you know. Um, and I don't know, people just, we 
can't we can't dictate who falls in love or fancies people it's a it's a very personal thing isn't it and it's about your projection of a part of you so if anybody's so even all the boys listening say like, i'm not a part of jet i haven't got any part of me that's jet but there's something aspirational isn't it, about people that you think oh because I, I like people i've always i've got a thing where i go oh my god i've got a crush on that person because i love their brain or their personality but to take yeah. that step further and say i fancy them that's very rarely happened to me. So I can't put myself in other people's shoes that easily with that whole no. arena. I don't know if you under, if anyone understand, uh, listening understands that I'm just put together a bit weirdly. I'm a bit, bit in my head all the time. A bit geeky, I'm afraid. <laughs> That's lovely. It's part of the appeal. But I think a lot of women felt it too. Like a lot of girls growing up probably wanted to be you. You know, they had posters of you on the walls. Like, you know, and, and in fact, we did an article recently um, where people talked about their first girl crushes and you, you were on there. I don't need to share the article with you. It's on our website. But yeah, you must have just had that effect on people, which is amazing. It's very inspiring because you probably got people to change their fitness habits. And, you know, because as a, as a role model, I mean, you had a very beautiful aspirational body you know you had curves in the right places but you were strong and empowered and I think especially in today's generation that's super important I think we we're starting to see more of that through social yeah. media like we just did a post about it about how um you know people don't want to see the edited version anymore they want to yeah. see the real version and a lot of influencers are actually showing kind of before and afters now about mm -hmm. like this is me edited this is what I really look like yeah and that's actually it's the way forward and um, it's it's great to see so I think you're kind of part of that champion championing that um yeah with that kind of athletic look so yeah. Yeah. thank you you know it's one of the things I was most excited about back in the early 1990s because we had come out of the 80s which was very Kate Moss, I know she probably wouldn't mind me quoting, I don't know her, but it was heroin chic in the 80s. Yeah. It was a lot of the models were, and it was massively in the media. Even Diana, Princess, our late Princess Diana, had issues around body image and this sort of desperate kind of sense of having to be model like and very thin uh, to be a hanger for clothes. When women are real shapes, and one thing I got really excited about in the early 1990s, and I hadn't ever disguised the fact, because our press office said to us then, if you've got any skeletons in the closet, any stories, sell them get them out take ownership of them otherwise people may write them on you so I did my mine about the four-year battle I had from 14 to 19 with bulimia and body dysmorphia and how I looked in the mirror and didn't see a lo lovely petite little thin dancer's body I saw a muscular ex-gymnast mesomorphic curvy girl and I was so excited in GLADS the early part of GLADS because I thought you know what I got that role as jet because I am who I am and shaped as mm. I am and I have power and I have strength and I have curves and I'm not going to apologize for them because you know what they ain't going anywhere I'm not going to diet yeah. them off because you can't and it's wrong and I was learning a lot about nutritional science and an actual science behind well-being from quite an early age rather than the, the the black coffee a cigarette and an apple and a Kit Kat which a lot of dancers were doing in the 80s and I tried and it didn't work <laughs> it's really wrong but I thought, I've got no knowledge really here it wasn't until my first partner bless him um had these muscle and fitness magazines around my apartment going you should start doing what's this pre-gladiators and i actually started reading up then about nutrition and health and then i went and did a training in health and fitness and teaching um down in farnborough uh, when i'd moved out of london so the surrey hampshire border and it was the beginning of a journey eternally of me now always learning always finding out more particularly about neurotransmitters in the endocrine system which i 20 years ago under the the guise of a, an amazing guy called paul check based out in san diego uh, whose work I've always loved because he he just he's always pulled everything together about nutrition, fitness, well-being, and particularly importance of gut, um, our gut uh, pro, uh, pro and pre bacteria, which basically creates neurotransmitters, which is our mental health for our mental and yeah. emotional well-being. And now the science is corroborating what he um, uh, theorized many years ago, and and it's great. So I've kind of finally things are catching up with us weirdos who were ahead of our time and I'm glad of that because I just I thirst for that knowledge I love that knowledge because it can make such a difference to people's lives mm, especially in this time when there are so many problems with people's mental health I thank god we're talking about it more than we did but it's more important than ever to to kind of focus in on this stuff and this brings yeah. us nicely to um to serotonin and obviously 90% of it is made in the gut as, as you say it's yep. incredible but 
talk about your journey then to becoming a psychotherapist and a counselor because this is what you do now isn't it like forget gladiators that was a bit of fun in your 20s but this is what you do now so yeah tell tell me about that journey and and like yeah what you specialize in and and how yeah yeah. well I was nine years old when um I I realized I wanted to study the mind Uh, I wanted to know what the mind was because we knew we know what the brain is which is definitely HQ and we've got all our little electrical uh, areas of the, the 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 areas of the brain that are for reasoning languaging um, you, you know lots of different aspects of our mentality and cognition but when it comes to thought the ability to remember the past be present and look to the future there's a, there's something else going on but no one could actually go oh it's a fine specimen of the mind it's not a material thing it's a it's a system it's a process and it wasn't until we learned more about neurotransmitters um, and the whole phenomena of the mind, which is actually through the whole of the body, which is why we have such an incredible sense of life. Um, and the science is, is, is actually obviously more stable behind that now. Um, but I wanted to know that for many, many years. I thought as soon as I get the chance, I will study the mind. So I went back to Surrey University and then did lots of night classes. And I wanted it to be applied. I didn't want to just study the science and become a psychologist in a lab and do field studies which I still find fascinating but I wanted to actually work face-to-face and do interface work with people so I started a, a literally on the back of glads I thought right I'm going to go back to uni now and and do the whole psychotherapy journey and I'll be 20 years in practice this year 21 years next year and I love wow. it it's a privilege um yeah you've got to do work a little bit of work on yourself or at least keep yourself very self-aware of what's yours and you know this it's, it's good it's really good it's powerful stuff and i also know only too well the importance of what it means to be heard if you really need that space mm. how are you finding it during lockdown are you seeing inquiries rise because people are kind of lonelier and struggling more with their self-confidence yeah yeah a little yeah. bit of that not not as much as i initially thought i think a lot of people have and thankfully have become kind of resourceful I mean a lot of people don't know how to access me <laughs> which is another thing I must I must address that um but it, I think people have learned to be adapt and be resourceful which is very much the human spirit in what is a world climate at the moment and I'm pretty glad of that that you may not always need someone to talk to sometimes just even just a one hour with someone like me somebody who's outside of your family and friend uh, sphere bubble um just to kind of just resonate and just go, you know, am I okay? Um, because I think this time has probably challenged everybody's levels of sanity at times, definitely. And and maybe it's not a bad thing for a lot of people. Yeah. And what would you say you specialize in? Because you talked earlier about kind of body positivity and, you know, your, your experience with an eating disorder. Does that, yeah. is that something that comes up? It, it it can come up uh, depending, and I was going to say on what age group you're working with. I I, I was going to specialise initially, but as the years have gone by, I'd like to call myself a GP, a general practitioner of psychotherapy. If I find a client has such a specific area of focus, which I've never found actually, they generally will work with me. Um, I will signpost them to extra support and help, or I'll do extra research um, if it's bereavement if it's uh, body positivity or an eating disorder. Um, I've been at it long enough to kind of know the, the, the core and the stem is pretty much pretty much part of the human foundation. And the symptomology then on top of that, or the circumstance bereavement, for instance. Um, and bereavement, of course, is a living thing because when, for instance, in pandemic, you've lost, your, lost a job or a working role, you have to grieve that part of you. So grieving as attachment and loss is a massive, massive theme throughout the, hu- the human condition. And at some point, we all have to learn the art of negotiating that area because it very much defines us um, because it is life. It is actually what defines life. So we have to be very careful with that. So I found in 20 years of practice, um, yes, you can specialize. And yes, I will signpost but I can pretty much create a safe space for any of it. Um, Mm. I'd like to think that anyway. You could have to ask my clients for the true results. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And do, does like the social media conversation come up much? Do people talk about how they feel pressured to live a certain kind of way because of social media yeah. or like live their best life? Is there? Yeah, I, I, I take a step back from all that. I very rarely flick on and through social media. I do listen to the news pretty much 24 seven though, um, because I love BBC Radio 4. It's my constant companions i do so much driving i just find it, it interesting the the program production i did quite a bit of radio with the bbc for a few years i love it it's my go-to it's what i love doing if i get the chance um as a broadcaster but um to listen to it's it's pretty much so i that's my link into what's going on out there because it's generally very very well researched and journalistically balanced however yeah. uh, when it comes to social media i i don't know i have a, a love-hate relationship with that i've got very strong boundaries around it i don't personally feel i need to enter into it but if a client brings issues of that i'll certainly sort of research for them and have a look uh, and I've got a go-to friend, one of my oldest friends who I adore, and he's very across these things and he keeps me to speed in the way that Diane can understand. Because he's a genius mm. and he's lovely and he knows me. He knows what I'm like. <laughs> yeah. You need that. You need people to filter stuff through. He's sometimes. a filter. He's a major filter. Yeah. <laughs> and he's my go-to for so, so many things because he's one of my closest confidants and friends. Yeah. So thinking about self-care. So like, how has your attitude towards self-care changed over the years? Like when you were jet, did you have like a self-care routine or did you not? And, and, and what's it like now? Um, I think I wasn't conscious of it during the jet days because I was so young and I was naturally yeah. just outdoors uh, all the time. If, if I train, it's outdoors. So outdoor training was not nothing new to me. A tree for chinning, a, a bench for own body weight. And I was teaching Pilates very young before it was ever a thing. So that's been my self-care. And it is to this day I still outdoors is my happy place my hair is freaky because I was training recently outdoors in the and then chucking down so I've now got what I call sweat hair or rain hair it's very volumous rain. <laughs> it looks like you've had a blow dry I don't <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's I, you know you know it's getting done in a couple of days time so I thought I cannot be bothered because it takes so much time to wash and do all that stuff and that stuff and I thought you know what it, this is my hair without it and it's great curly. <laughs> I I had that one. it looks very thick it's it is thick it's it's very surfery but i haven't been surfing i've yeah. just been stood in the rain i'd rather have been surfing but i was stood <laughs> in the rain teaching but that's mm -hmm. fine uh, and i thought you yeah. know what i'm gonna let it just be like this because it is the end of summer we've gone into autumn and i'll let it just do its surfery rainy best for a few days and let it be i don't care it's it's, it's i'm lucky to have thick hair it keeps me warm in winter <laughs> yeah, lovely you always want what you don't have as well it's don't true. you like i've got like yeah. limp hair and i want volume and i would do and i used to backcomb it to get hair like that did so you <laughs> like, guys, see, I like my, yeah. when i get my hair done <laughs> I have it like your yeah. daddy. I have it glossy, straight. Oh, I love it. And I hold on to it for as long as possible. So yeah. that's a little bit later on in the week. And my gorgeous new hairdresser, who I've found up here in the Northeast, she's really young. She's really good. I'm not saying that young wouldn't yeah. be really good, but you don't, you know, just absolutely instinct for, my, for the colours and everything. I'm like, oh my God. And even my mum went, it's the best yet. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So I'll be back there. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. But in the meantime, I'm just going to do scruffy, wet curly don't care hair <laughs> don't care hair. Yeah. what's that <laughs> <laughs> and what about like yoga or meditation do you do you do anything like that to kind of you calm know, you down or do you thinking about that just the other this just yesterday and a little bit this morning because i sat outside because the sun was beautiful i did some washing and pinned it out and i love little domestic things like that because when you've had a life like I've had you and, and traveling around in the last few years it's not so easy to have the washing line and pin clothes out and some people don't have gardens to do anything like that it's all blow dry and radiators and stuff so that was a real pleasure um so little i, I find pleasure on that point in in little tiny things which we all take for granted washing the pots cooking a meal having a bath and most importantly for me my meditation is walking and just listening I'm, I'm very good at spotting hair and deer and wildlife i i just have like a, a real sense 
um, and people go, my God, you spot things. I'm, yes, I do, because I tune in and it's important for me. And I'm fortunate where Mum's Village is, there is the most incredible countryside around the village. Um, so when I'm here, I get the, the good fortune to be there. If not, I'm up at Hampstead Forest or in Weirdale or I'm down south or I'm jumping in the sea. I just have to be outdoors. <laughs> Mm. make a mud hut and i'll be happy <laughs> yeah. amazing well diane it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today i'm thrilled that we finally got to speak and um yeah i think my little six-year-old self is having a little party right now it's so exciting in fact this is a really like obscure fact but my my grandma who um who played a very key role in in bringing me up she used to pretend she was you at night she used to pretend that like she'd moonlight as you and like and i completely believed her i was like oh my god my grandma is jeff like and then i think one day i was like what are those in your legs? And she had like varicose veins. I was like, how do you hide those as Jet? And she, it was so funny. She had to tell me the truth eventually. But honestly, you you played a very key role in my life growing up. And um, it's just amazing to talk to you. In the face, Thank you so. for sharing that gorgeous anecdote at the end. Yeah. That is priceless. And I'll be heading down your way. Let's head to the beach. Yes, Please. let's do it. And and before you go, you did mention on GradPod that there's maybe talks of a 30th year anniversary. Is that true? Or yeah, is that in the works? Well, the producer, producer Paul, and then our other producer, that my co-host who's who's brought GradPod together, David Blackmore, uh, is an ITV producer on the This Morning programme, which is where we met. And he linked with me and he said, hmm, I want to do the GradPod what he said well I think it needs to be done because in three years time you guys will be 30 and I think you're sort of amassing I think this is the thinking amassing a whole because if we don't document all these amazing gladiators from all over the world this fabulous iconic show and start getting yeah. some compendium together of everybody's in air how did you become a glad what was it like what was it being in the arena out the arena yeah. what are you doing now you know fascinating absolutely and i'm fascinated like yourself I, I like listening and asking questions and so i've started that journey with him and i would imagine itv may do a nod or a bow to that show all those years ago in three years time i'd be very surprised if they don't but maybe somebody will and maybe it'll be david uh who knows yeah. when we get there so it's, it's a couple of years away now so yeah. Would you be happy to present on the oh, show? Do you of think? course. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I would love that. But no I, doubt, more hang tough. I doubt they would ask. They'll probably have some you know, one of these sort of goggle box type, you know, split oh, yeah. kind of lots of clips and some anchor, anonymous anchor who's in at the time. But I would love that. Yeah, that would be amazing. But yeah. I, would, I know that. <laughs> And maybe a Strictly Come Dancing deal should be coming your way oh, soon. <laughs> oh, to die for. But I, I was told by a friend, a journalist friend, you'll never get on it. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I would love oh, to no. so, so big up the 50-somethings. I still really think I, no one a bit older has ever really won. And um, <laughs> that really pains you me. Because I think, it. yeah, I just think, you know, what? I'd give it a really damn good run for my money because of my personal discipline, my focus. And I'm fearless. Uh, and dance is a language I know very well from behind, but maybe because now they're allowing people with a bit of a dance history to go on. And I just absolutely yeah. love the opportunity, but I'm not I'm not sort of in vogue enough or BBC enough. I don't know. Uh, but it would be my biggest dream to do that show. I would absolutely lap every second up of it. Um, oh, I can for, see you on there. For, for us 50 something girls and all those that love the show way, way back then. Yeah, I would love yeah. it. <laughs> I'm sure it will happen. Well, I'll let you get back to your day, but thank you so much. Thank you. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.